Owls Eve Tales, Tabula Rasa, is a Podzilla 1985 production. Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised. What do you mean file name is not compatible? How can a name not be... No. No, I don't want to overwrite the original son of a bitch, Sammy! Hey, Sammy, you over there? Come on, pal. You know I'm not so good with all this computer stuff. Come work your magic on this thing, will ya? Ah, shit. Never mind. It's recording. Hey, uh, this is uh, Special Agent Donovan, Harry Donovan, coming to you live from the historic Ed Sullivan Theater in the heart of New York. Nah, I'm just fucking around. Me and Sammy are still holed up in this godforsaken bunker. Kind of lost track of time and the uh, calendar, but um, whatever the hell day it is it's been long enough we're at the end of the line now down to the last pile of manila folders i ever want to see for the rest of my life it's a good thing too because we are also down to the last pack of twinkies in that vending machine well we were down to the last pack anyway (coughs) all right now i'm not going to wait on the kid any longer Let's get this show on the road. Case file number 091093. Wait a minute. I remember this one. Woof. International incident. Lucky for us, the KGB didn't want to get out any more than the Bureau did. Nowadays, the International Space Station never employs a crew of fewer than seven people at any given time, but that wasn't always the case. Years ago, it could be as few as two, usually from different countries. Hmm. Yeah. Case 091093 changed all of that. Don't do this, Bert. You don't have to. There are other options, you know. Ah, you are correct, Captain. I do not have to do this. Well, that is... But of course, that does not mean that I will not do it. Bishop takes night. And that, Captain Clark, is checkmate. (laughs) This is what I get. This is what I get for playing chess with a Russian. You know, my dad taught me to set up the board when I was like, what, seven? I was the best player in my high school club. Ah, so you're both casually xenophobic and, what do you say, a nerd? This has been an illuminating experience indeed. We must play chess more often. Hey, hey! Come on, Bert, you know me better than that. I would never... (laughs) It appears that I do not, in fact, know you all that well, Joseph. I presumed you to be a better negotiator than the one who would simply beg for their life. Or the life of your king, I suppose. Eh, well, you work with what you got, you know? I'll have to rectify that blemish on my record another time, though. We've got work to do. Of course, of course. Maintenance waits for no man. American chess master or otherwise. Lippy for comms duty? Come now, Captain. You're treading on being insulting, <laughs> flipping a coin in low gravity. Besides, do you even have one? Do you bring a roll so you could do laundry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, you win. Literally. Life support for me it is. Tell NASA HQ that the lettuce is coming in nicely, would you? Absolutely. If there's time after I recount my triumphant victory over the U.S. of A. You're hilarious, Commander. It is a well-known trait of my people, yes. Those were the voices of American astronaut Captain Joseph Clark and Russian cosmonaut Commander Bertsov Krasimir. 
As heard on a recording made aboard the ISS at approximately 1,800 hours on September 10, 2013. At the time, they were the only two occupants of the station, conducting routine upkeep and basic entries. Back then, things weren't quite as hairy as they are now between the United States and Big Red, and as best we know, Clark and Krasimir were pretty friendly. I mean, you heard that. They were practically buddies. Which makes what eventually happened between them that much worse. Come on! Come on! Uh, there! That ought to do it. Okay, sensors are back online. Let's run that scan on the scrubbers one more time, man. Captain? Yosef? Are you alright in there? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, I I'm fine. What the hell was that? Y you heard that, right? Ah, the sensors. They are up and running once more. But why did you... Wait, wait, no. No, I'm talking about that sound, that noise. You didn't hear that at all? Captain, we rebooted those oxygen sensors to give the station at least a dozen times since the two of us arrived here. I agree that their startup notification time is a bit grating, but... Enough about the sensors, Bert! Come on, don't mess with me here. I thought my eardrums were gonna rupture! Joseph, I do not know what you are speaking of. Perhaps you experienced a pressure change in this chamber when the sensors rebooted? I cannot say, but I assure you, I heard only the sound of our equipment working properly once again, thanks to you. Yeah, okay. Pressure drop. That must have been it. Uh, it makes sense. God, I really thought my head was just gonna pop like a balloon there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Not on this day, my friend. However, the news I bring from your mission control might achieve a similar effect. The next time you speak with them, your wife will be on the line as well. Betty? <laughs> oh man, that's great! It's been so long. I, I hope she gets to bring the kids, too! I'm certain she will, Joseph. Now, come, let us eat, da? By 1830 hours, Clark and Krasimir had completed the routines and both life support and communications were happily chowing down. Whatever it is they eat up there. Dippin' Dots, Tang. Is Tang still a thing in space? Anyway, their flight recorder didn't pick up again until a little before 2100 hours. But sorry, uh, that's about 9pm for the uninitiated. And while Clark and the Ruski were checking on a potential faulty wiring issue in the labs. If, after death, I lie there, in a sleep that is dull and unending, and ah, these things no longer travel to my ear, I cannot hear the sound then. God, what? Hey, it stop! Captain, what is it? Is it happening again? I... What? Captain, Joseph, please, relax. We need to get you to bed, perhaps. I'll contact ground control and... No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine, Bert. I, I'm fine. Yosef. I said I'm fine, Commander. You might outrank me in your organization, but I don't work for you, dammit. Oh, of course, Captain. Whatever you say. <sighs> Bert, listen. I I'm sorry. I just... <clears throat> My head is killing me, and I don't know what the fuck is causing it, and somehow you're not hearing it, and I... I, I don't know. 
I understand, my friend. My recommendation stands. It's getting late. I can finish the job down here, and you can lie down for the night. It is no trouble, truly. Please. All right. All right. If you insist. Just don't forget the... The junction connection, yes. I remember. And I will update the ground control on the situation. Do not fret about this. Sounds good. Now we know that Krasimir made that call about a half hour after this conversation ended. And by then, we assumed that Clark had indeed gone to his bunk to rest while the commander finished the wiring repairs. At almost exactly 2,200 hours, Krasimir contacted Russian Mission Control. The KGB has never released to us the actual audio of that conversation, and the transcript was heavily redacted, but we do know there was a longer-than-usual correspondence. What the cosmonaut discussed with his handlers during that time remains a mystery, and apparently, Clark took notice. The next time the ISS system picked up recording was at 23.15, 45 minutes to midnight. Captain Clark was in the communications bay alone, to begin with, at least. Come in! Come in! Ground control! This is Captain Clark, National Aeronautics... Damn it, will someone please pick up the fucking phone down there? This is bullshit! Where is everyone? Hello? You guys have got to be kidding me right now! This, this isn't fucking funny! I'm gonna say this one more time. This is Captain Joseph Clark aboard the International Space Station. I am in danger. You need to send someone up here right now. Captain, what is happening? No, no the fuck you don't. You stay away from me, Krasimir, you hear me? Stay over there. Don't you come any closer. Joseph, what is the matter? It is late. Why are you here at this hour? Oh, yeah. Like you, of all people, get to ask questions about who's being shady with the comms. Ah! That's rich, comrade. Hey, shady with the communications. Just what are you accusing me of, Clark? I do not appreciate your tone. And I don't appreciate you sneaking around here reporting whatever you want to your little pals down there in Moscow. Because what have you been telling them about NASA, huh? About our tech? About... About me? That's enough, Captain. I will not stand here and be insulted like this. I refuse. Where could you possibly have gotten the idea that I am some sort of spy? What have I done that would give you the impression? Stop! Make... Make it stop! Clark! Clark! What... What is it? Is it happening again right now? What do you hear? What does it sound like? I can't! Joseph, you have to tell me. I cannot hear it. Where is it coming from? What could it be? Don't... Stay there! Don't come near me! I will not stand idly by while you suffer, Captain. No! You... <sighs> Joseph! In a recording that does not seem to be in this file for some reason, probably because Krasimir's handlers already torched it themselves, the commander went into great detail about what transpired over the next 30 to 40 minutes. The once again redacted file leaves much to the imagination, but it seems that Krasimir moved Clark back to his bunk, restrained him for safety, and then once more contacted ground control, this time both his own and NASA as well. Plans were made to send retrieval crews as soon as possible, and it was determined that Clark was no longer capable of continuing the mission. But here's where it gets really weird.
During this conversation, both agencies were able to confirm with Krasimir what he already suspected. There were absolutely no unusual sounds emanating from that region of outer space at the time in question. No solar flares, no rogue satellites, nothing out of the ordinary aside from Captain Clark's behavior. The ISS recording resumes at the end of Krasimir's correspondence with Earth, six minutes shy of midnight at 2354. In agreement then, yes. The captain is not well. He must be evacuated as soon as that. You traitorous son of a bitch! You motherfucker! Joseph, stop, please. How could you? You knew. You knew the entire fucking plan. You sat there and listened to it, probably with a smile on your goddamn face. And then, and then, you tease me with the promise of my family of getting to talk to my wife and kids again? What? Oh, lie to me! I tried to contact Ground Control, tried to get through to NASA, and then you, you stopped me, kept me from warning them. Warning? Of what, Joseph? Warning about? Missiles, damn you! You and your brothers in arms laughing behind my back while you press the button to start a nuclear war! Haunting me with the talk of Betty and Sophie and... and my son! Oh, God, I was gonna have a son! And now I'll never see any of them ever again! Not them! Not my parents! Not anyone else ever except for you! And you knew it! That fucking poem, or whatever. What were you saying in the labs? Old folk song. It's off. It's where? Yeah, yeah, I just bet. If I cannot hear the sound then. But you never could, could you? I heard it. I heard it all. And yeah, it hurt. But without it, I'd never know. You would have kept it for me. Oh, please. None of this is not <coughs> true. There is no war. No missiles. You're not well. You know me. No, no. No, I don't, Krasimir. Remember? You said it yourself earlier today. We don't know each other all that well at all, actually. In fact, you thought it was ridiculous that I'd beg for my life. Joseph, you do not, <coughs> you do not have to. No, unlike you, I did. I did have to do it for them, for, oh my God. Time of death, 2,400 hours. Or zero, 100 hours. I, I honestly don't remember how that works. We haven't really used it much since the Academy. Anyway, that's the time of death for both Commander Bursov Krasimir and any recordings from the International Space Station until several weeks later when the rescue crew finally arrived. It was a joint effort by both NASA and the Russian space program because, of course, 
none of Captain Clark's crazy rant was even remotely accurate, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, I'm alive and talking right now. The scene they discovered was, predictably, gruesome. The crew determined that Clark had bludgeoned Krasimir to death with, get this, the chessboard. And here you thought the Russian was the poet, right? Just beat him over and over and, well, you get it. But after that, after what we heard at the end of the recording there, he just stopped talking. Didn't say a word. Sat right down in front of a port window and just gave up, it seemed. Now, that would make a lot of sense if Clark had looked out there and seen the entire planet engulfed in a series of mushroom clouds uh, the way he expected it to be, but obviously, you know. So the question remains, what did Clark see? And what was he hearing all that time? Neither of our organizations has an answer to that to this day. Well, that's mostly true. As far as we know, the Russians don't have any information, and the Bureau, on the other hand, has something. Not entirely sure what it means, but for what it's worth, <clears throat> an anomalous gamma radiation emission event attributed to ingress and egress from the atmosphere was later determined to have occurred at 1,700 and 2,400 hours, respectively. Gamma ray photons were detected at a focus point of origin along spectral lines that created a temporal profile of previously unregistered flux intensity, possibly involving antimatter annihilation. Okay, you get the picture, right? Sooner or later, the word extraterrestrial is going to come into play here. Arrival. One hour before the initial event. Departure. Moments after Krasimir's murder. So maybe the question isn't so much what Clark saw and heard, and more what they saw and heard. And if that was their impression of who we are, even if they manipulated it to happen that way as a test, maybe? Could you really blame them for leaving so soon? Sammy! There you are! What do you think, huh? Was it... Holy... What the fuck, Sammy? For the last fucking time, it is Sam Donovan. God, I am not gonna miss that. What? What? You, you shot me! You shot me, you asshole! Oh, yeah, I'm the asshole. You have been intentionally saying my name incorrectly for literal weeks now, despite the fact that I correct you every single time. You've eaten all the food, drank way more than your share of the coffee, of the water, and then you're really surprised by this? <laughs> uh, uh, Sam, Sam, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, yeah, that's exactly the problem, Donovan, you didn't. You didn't listen, you didn't consider anyone but yourself, and so, here we are. The only thing that honestly surprises me is that you didn't take the deal before I did, but... The, the deal? What deal, Sammy? What? Prick. It's Lambert. Job's done. Open the door, I'm walking out. Hallow's Eve Tales Tabula Rasa is a production of Podzilla 1985. Civil Twilight was created and written for performance by Hunter Hendricks and stars in order of appearance Shannon Young, Cody Sandusky, Jesse Kimball, and Hunter Hendricks. Catch every episode of this seasonal series, as well as the full slate of Podzilla podcasts like PZ85 Plays, After Dark, and more at podzilla1985.com or on your favorite podcasting service. Donovan is dead, then. Yes, sir, Director. And the piles? 
Side echoes finished. Might as well be the inside of a fireplace at this point. There's so much cinder and ash. Excellent. That leaves only one loose end. Yeah. Wait, what? Did you think we learned nothing from our visitors? Of course, we didn't manipulate your mind to make it so. Not as they did in any case, but... Well, for what it's worth, I never actually offered Donovan the deal. Only you. Elias, you son of a...